0: amen. Thank you, Brian. Good morning, church. Everybody doing well? Yeah, good. I'm really excited about the opportunity to uh, give this message this morning. It has really been one of those passages of scripture that God's taken me to off and on, but um, recently, even more so, and just going through and studying and preparing for this, it was just Moments where I had to stop and pause and just say, praise God, praise God. So I hope you will be encouraged by this this morning, too. I'm always grateful that God is guiding in what he wants us to learn and to apply in our lives as a church. Uh, Last week, I was so encouraged by Brian's message on the seven life-giving realities of the resurrection. And there was a bonus, a bonus one, too, so... It was a good pause in going verse by verse through Romans for Easter Sunday. I hope you were encouraged and able to focus, as Brian encouraged you to do, on at least one of the realities that he covered. This morning, I believe the Lord wants us to be encouraged by one more life-giving reality that 1 Peter chapter 1 focuses in on, and that is the inheritance that God has promised to Christians which is made possible by the resurrection of Jesus. For those of us who have repented and believed in Christ alone, we have an inheritance and a future that is far more wonderful than we can imagine. Brothers and sisters, often rightfully, we spend time remembering that we, what we are saved from, from God's just and righteous wrath, from an eternity in hell from hopelessness, and from being slaves of sin. But we do well also to remember what we are saved to by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's our focus this morning, what we are saved to. I encourage you um, to follow along in these verses. Um, I think it's page 953 in in the Black Bibles if you don't have one. And As we go through these verses, I want to give you a little bit of context. Because Peter wrote this book and the Holy Spirit led him to write it to Christians in various regions spread around what is today the country of Turkey. Most of these churches were started by Paul and his fellow workers on their missionary trips through these regions. And though these churches had grown and continued to be faithful, they had suffered a great deal of serious persecution. So Peter is writing to these believers to encourage them to endure persecution well, and he's instructing them on how to do that. Though we don't suffer persecution like the believers in those regions did back then, Peter's message very much applies to us today. I think you will see how the message in these verses is valuable to equip us as believers and not just dealing with persecution, but also being encouraged for the future, no matter how troubled or uncertain it may be. And many of us struggle with uncertainty or troubled times, right? So the verses we are studying today are basically the introduction to Peter's message in First Peter. And later in the book, Peter gives a lot of instructions on how believers should live. But he begins here by focusing on what God has done for us believers in the past, in the present, and what he will do in the future. So just with how Peter lays this out, he starts out by giving us a focus. And today that's my prayer, is that we will all grow in having that proper focus. If you would look at verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now these are just a short passage here, but don't be fooled. That doesn't mean this is a five-minute message, okay? Just earlier Brody was saying, yeah, like I see a short, short verses, and uh, I think, oh, this is going to be a quick message, so just bear with me, but. So the phrase, blessed be, in case you don't know, is just another way of saying all praise be to. So Peter is saying all praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? He starts out by praising God for the past work that God has done that caused us to be born again. So this morning, let's just start. I'll give you three seconds to praise God for what he has done in causing us to be born again. Amen? Amen. Notice that this was done according to God's great mercy. That's so important because that means we are not even a tiny bit deserving of being saved from wrath and being born again. It is a gift, and there is nothing we could do to earn it. So Peter goes on to say that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to pause and give a little context here because remember, this is the same Peter writing this epistle who was a disciple of Jesus denied him on the night he was betrayed. He completely disowned Jesus. When a woman claimed that he had seen, she had seen Peter with Jesus, he literally said, I don't even know him. Then he went in shame and he hid and was afraid. Afraid that he would be killed himself. However, 50 some days after that, we find Peter in Acts chapter 2 publicly, fearlessly, preaching boldly that God raised Jesus from the dead and that all of the disciples were witnesses and then some. Peter was a changed man. In fact, in the book of 2 Peter, he writes that the things that he and the other disciples shared weren't cleverly devised myths, but that they were eyewitnesses to the majesty of Jesus. So when we read Peter's words here, we should remember this is a man who was an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection. So what is living hope and this living hope that we are born again to? How is our living hope different from what we most often mean when we say hope. Typically when we say we hope for something, we're saying we're not sure it is going to happen, but we want it to happen. We usually think of hope more like a wish. We hope for a new job. We hope it doesn't rain when we're having a picnic. Maggie and Rachel and I hope we find a new place to live soon. This wishful thinking is for things that may or may not happen. They are uncertain and ultimately they are only passing events in the seasons of our life. The living hope in this passage means an eager, confident expectation. It is a hope that lives on with certainty. This isn't something that we work up inside or psych ourselves up into. It's not a, I hope, I hope, I hope with my fingers crossed no our living hope originates from a living resurrected savior our living hope is anchored in a real event from the past the resurrection because jesus is alive we have living hope amen so in other words our hope is not based on us The hope that God provides for you and me as we face an uncertain and perhaps difficult future is not based on wishful thinking that the future will be as good as we want it to be. It is the confident assurance that we can entrust our lives to the one who holds the future no matter what happens. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And then in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 18, it says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Hope is so important for all humans. It's hard to live without hope. But what we put our hope in matters a great deal. I urge all of us this morning to let go of any wishful thinking that, we, that may have crept into our lives in regards to our future, whether our future time on this earth or the future in heaven. This morning, may we leave behind wishful thinking and grab hold to the hope based on confidence that God will fulfill his promises, a living hope. So let's read the last part of verse 3 and then verse 4. It says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We are born again to a living hope and to an inheritance. Not only are we saved from God's wrath and completely forgiven our sins, but we also have an inheritance that is given to us by our Heavenly Father. Now, remember that an inheritance is something you can't earn. It is 100% a gift. Just as we are born again according to God's great mercy, so we are given an inheritance by his great mercy. So what does Peter tell us about this inheritance? First, Peter tells us it's imperishable. In other words, it will never wear out or rot or die. Second, it is undefiled. In other words, it is perfect. Third, it is unfading. This inheritance will not diminish ever in any way. And fourth, our inheritance is being kept for us in heaven. One of the things we can eagerly look forward to is the promise that all who believe are going to be given a new resurrected body. As we read here, it will be imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. As Brian said last week, we are going to be given a new body just as as Jesus was given a new resurrected body. I am more and more looking forward to such a new body, partly because as time goes on, I have more and more reminders of this, this body is perishable, defiled, and fading. For you younger folks, let me tell you, the older you get, the more you will look forward to the, with great expectation to your perfect resurrected body. For you old, I mean older folks, can I get an amen? That was weak. (laughs) Uh, I believe that part of why our bodies fail us honestly is just a reminder that this is not our home, that we're just intense here for a while as we're passing through, and that we have something to look forward to that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In God's time, we will pass, and we will be in our new bodies. Praise God. Now let me ask you, do you ever wonder like me what heaven will be like? I know for me, I, I think about that, and it's, it's mysterious. Not in a bad way, but just there's so many things about heaven um, that I wonder about. And it's interesting, though they are brief, the descriptions of heaven in the Bible are Amazing. It's interesting that we aren't given a lot of details, and I think that is because we can't really grasp how glorious it will be or or glorious that it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9, Paul writes, But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. This morning, I want you to consider a couple of especially wonderful things the Bible says about heaven and for believers our existence there. The first thing is that there will be no more of this fallen, sinful world and life. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it reads, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. I love in this verse where it says that God will personally wipe away every tear. Can you imagine what it will be like where there will be no more pain? No more sorrow? No more crying? And no more of the terrible curse that we live with in this creation. All of those things will pass away. What a wonderful future we have. It's amazing and awesome. And it's real. It is as real as us right here, right now. So I look forward to that and it is something that I truly long for with a great desire. Often I think we are distracted though by our desires for things in this life. We start looking to things on earth for what is really only promised for us in heaven. Now God blesses us tremendously and it is not wrong to desire good things in this life but our salvation is a lot more about what is to come than about what we experience now. Let me say that again, our salvation is a lot more about what is to come than about what we experience now. How many of you kids like Christmas? Okay, how many of you older kids like Christmas, right? Christmas can be such an enjoyable time with the decorations, great food, great fellowship, and the excitement of the season. While Christmas is really about the birth of our savior, we also enjoy many good traditions, including giving and receiving presents. So if I asked what everybody liked about Christmas, there would be a variety of things. But I think the presents kind of grab a hold, right? That anticipation. And there is something really enjoyable, just about the anticipation alone that we have as Christmas day approaches, right? So now let me ask you, have you ever had a Christmas when you got every single thing you wanted? Raise your hand if you did. No? No takers on that? No, probably not. But even if you did, let me ask you a different question. Have you ever had a Christmas where you got some of what you really wanted, or even one thing of what you really wanted? Probably all of us have, right? It's always enjoyable, but I remind you, because I'm sure you've experienced this just like me, over time, those things begin to wear out or break, or you just lose interest in them. No matter how good a Christmas season may be, it will always bring temporary partial pleasure and maybe even a little fulfillment, but it always fades. Desiring and receiving good things in this life is not wrong, but they are never meant to satisfy the deep desires that we have that God gave us. C.S. Lewis at the end of his book, Mere Christianity writes, if I find in myself which nothing, or if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Is there a certain joy that comes from merely the desire? There is certainly a delight when our desires or longing is satisfied. But I believe we all experience a delight in the desire itself. The anticipation is almost as sweet as the fulfillment. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, heaven, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the object of life to press on to that other country and help others to do the same. What a great perspective. So let us remember that the desires and pleasures that we experience in this life should remind us of and point us to when and where all of our hopes will be completely fulfilled. On that day, when eternal life in the presence of God comes, they will all be fulfilled. So while being free from this fallen, cursed world will be fantastic, I believe there is something even greater that we will experience in heaven. And that is the fact that we will no longer be separated from God, but we will be face-to-face with him. Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 and 3, it says, And I saw the holy city... The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Brothers and sisters, what a glorious thing that will be. Amen. Man, I'm looking forward to that. Incredible to think about, being face to face with our Lord. I love the words from the song by Mercy Me called, I Can Only Imagine. And as I read them, let's imagine. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you, be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine, but my, how I look forward to that day. Another wonderful part of that is that we will no longer be separated from each other. The barriers of our fallen nature, this fallen world, and death will all be gone. We will be together like we can only imagine. So we praise God for what he has done and causing us to be born again and we praise him for what he is doing now, and we praise him We will praise him eternally in the future. Now, while we should and must look forward to that day, it is important to, to consider that God has us believers still here for good reasons, right? Sometimes I'm wondering, it's like, Lord, why am I still here? Can I just go home? But God has purposes. God has a reason, many reasons for us to be here. And while I look forward to the eternal future, I also long to serve God's purposes for me on this earth. Our longing for for heaven should also serve as a reminder to be about what God has called us to every day that we are on earth. So that reminder that no, he still has us here for his purposes. In Philippians chapter one, verses 21 through 26, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glorify or glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So brothers and sisters, let's follow Paul's example of serving others. For every day that we have remaining on this earth, we should be about our father's business right spreading the gospel caring for our families serving fellow believers serving all of those that God brings into our lives as he directs let's look at verse 5 if you look there with me it says you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time Notice that we are being guarded by God's power through our faith. I remind you that even our faith is from God. I'm so grateful that my salvation is not being guarded by me, but by God. I'm grateful that my faith and salvation don't depend on me, but completely on Christ. Philippians chapter one, verse six says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? We can rest in him. Even when I'm at my worst and my turmoil is great, he is bigger than all of that. And he has me already secured to an eternal future. Amen? What a wonderful thing. Let's continue on with verse 6. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. All of us are grieved by various trials at various times in our lives. Maybe right now you're going through some very difficult trials. But we need to keep the right perspective about those trials. I know sometimes I find it very difficult to rejoice when I'm going through trials. In those times I struggle to find something to rejoice about. Sometimes I wrestle greatly with that. I'm grateful to remember Philippians chapter four when it appears that there's nothing I can rejoice in this life Philippians 4 4 says rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice and I can tell you I had nights where that's what I was able to do and I'm so grateful for that I can always rejoice in the Lord no matter what my circumstances we can and always uh, we can't always and we should always rejoice in the Lord, but we also should rejoice in our salvation. We should rejoice in the fact that God is guarding our salvation and rejoice in the future inheritance that we can look forward to. A good verse to memorize and meditate on during times of trial is Romans 8:18, 8, which says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us amen amen all of this will fade away all of our trials and struggles won't even be a memory not awesome not worthy to be compared so that says exactly what we need to remember when we are going through trials and that will help us to rejoice another reason to rejoice So moving on to verse seven, Peter goes on to tell us why we experience these trials. Read with me, it says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word for genuineness here could also be translated as proof or proven. In other words, the trials prove or purify our faith so that our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Earlier we talked about how Peter went through his own trial by fire when he betrayed Jesus. His faith was tested and in the end we see that it changed Peter and he became a man of great faith and power in the Holy Spirit. So Peter experienced how precious his faith being tested was. He's not just saying this from wishful thinking, but he knew it was true because he had experienced it. I don't often think of trials as proving or purifying my faith, Um, but just because I don't think of it that way doesn't mean it's not happening, right? And so when we are going through trials, let's remember that God is using even the greatest difficulties for our good. And part of that good is purifying our faith. As he does, we benefit not only in this life, but it will result in praise and glory and honor for us in heaven. What? Isn't that amazing? Now we will first and foremost be giving praise and honor and glory to Jesus in heaven, right? But we are also promised rewards in heaven. We will receive praise for the works we've done in this life as believers. These works have no impact on our salvation at all. Keep that in mind. Our salvation is completely the work of God and nothing we can do, there's nothing we can do to earn salvation It is by faith alone in Christ alone. So the works that we will be praised for are works that are the result of our salvation. We will also be glorified in heaven, and we will receive honor in heaven. The thing that is amazing is that we will receive all those things even though it was the Lord who did it through us, right? How generous and gracious and giving is our God. He does this incredible work in us, enabling us to do good works, and then he does all that and rewards us for what he did. Phenomenal. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By his merciful sovereign grace, we are walking in the good works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. But we get a reward for that. Wow, that's a great, great deal. So I ask you, maybe you're like me. I've been uncomfortable with the whole idea that I'm going to be rewarded someday. I've kind of shied away from that. but we should also be motivated to walk in those good works, right? And part of that motivation is that we will get a reward. And it's interesting that Jesus speaks of our rewards in heaven a good number of times in the Gospels. A couple of examples in Luke chapter six, verse 35, Jesus said, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. In Luke chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, it says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I don't have time to go into more details about our rewards, but the Bible is clear that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and Jesus will give us a crown and he will and there will be rewards based on our time in this life. so we should seek more rewards. may that be a motivator for us um, in first corinthians chapter nine verses twenty four and twenty five it says Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So loved ones, as Paul exhorts us to, let us run in such a way that we will win the prize. In other words, we should be motivated by the rewards that we will be given in heaven and walk in those good works that God has prepared for us beforehand. As I close, I hope this message has led you to praise God and rejoice in what God has already done, to praise him and rejoice in him for what he's doing now, and to praise him and rejoice in what he will do in the future. Amen. I hope this afternoon and this week you will take some time to really consider what our future really is. And as Paul said, all that we're going through now is not worthy to be compared. Not worthy to be compared for what he has for us for the future. I hope it has helped you sp- Strengthen your understanding of the living hope that we have and the one in whom that hope is based and the glorious things that we have to look forward to by God's mercy, having been born again. For those of you who are not Christians, if you have not yet repented and believed in Jesus, I appeal to you to consider your eternal future today. You can face the future that includes having to answer on your own for the ways you have broken God's moral laws and sinned against him. You can face the fact that you will face an eternity in hell or you can repent today of your sin and believe in the fact that Jesus paid the price for all your sins and when you stand before God when you die you will be justified before God because Jesus died to pay the price for your sins. If you will do that, then you will enter into the glorious inheritance as well. Our inheritance, there is no second, third, there's no scale. I know many of you all prayed when my dad was in his last days and you guys prayed fervently because he was a man who stiff-armed God. Most of his life, even to the point where in the last few years of his life, going from being very antagonistic towards us because Maggie and I were Christians, he literally, we were in Bible studies with him, and he was, would ask good questions, but he would say a number of times, he said to me, well, yeah, I just can't believe. I just can't. And really, he was just being stubborn. He just did not want to. Repent and believe. And I'm so grateful for for how the fields rallied around, and so many of you all prayed for him faithfully and went to see him and were involved in that. And it seemed really um, hopeless, honestly. But amazingly, five hours before he died, he repented and believed. amazing God kept on pursuing him and one of the verses after that that Brian shared with me which I thought was so amazing it's so cool I can't remember the verse in Luke or the, the the parable of the owner of the field who hired hands right in the morning and then he hired some at midday and then he hired some later and then almost before quitting time he hired somebody and he paid them all the same Brian reminded me, my dad's salvation is not any less than anyone else's. So if you're not a believer here this morning, understand that you have this available to you, and I appeal to you, I encourage you to repent of your sin and believe on Jesus and enter into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for making a way and causing us to be born again. Thank you, Father, according to your great mercy, we have a living hope and an inheritance that you are guarding for us through our faith. We thank you that even our faith is from you, and we ask you to increase our faith and strengthen our faith today. Father, I pray that we will rejoice in you every day for who you are and all you have done, for all that you are doing and all that you will do in the future. Father, I pray that our praise would be ready more and more in our hearts so that we are quick to offer the praise you are due. Help us, Father, to see that the many desires and longings that we have in this life are simply foreshadowing the glorious future that we have in heaven in your presence. Help us to respond as you stir in us a greater longing to run well the race that you have called us to in this life. And I pray that you will give us eyes to see the lost as you do, that we will have compassion for them as you do, and that we will long for them to have the inheritance that we do by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, hold on, sorry. That was short. Wow. (laughs)